0: Okay. Hello, everyone. Good morning. Welcome. We are coming, rather, to you live from Hudson Yards in New York City as Good Morning New York gets underway on this Tuesday morning. On today's show, powerful, meaningful, daring design is at the core of LeMay and Escobar's highly customized approach that speaks the language of New York City and every other place it transforms. For over 20 years, high-profile clients in all five boroughs have come to expect the firm's unwavering design excellence with a value-adding twist. LeMay and Escobar integrates architecture, interior design, master planning, and landscape architecture, creating stunning, seamless human environments of all kinds. Andreas Escobar, a partner in the firm, is with us this morning to discuss his unique abilities. Also at this hour, is the buyer's market over? They say, you snooze, you lose. Is the tide turning in favor of U.S. home sellers who are set to benefit from a slowing in new listings coming to the market? The shift can be attributed to a strong economy and lower mortgage rates. Is this happening in New York City market as well? Well, I don't know. We're going to ponder that thought. The panel will weigh in on that. But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I am Vince Rocco, and this is... Good morning, New York Real Estate. In the news this morning, Bravo TV's Ramona Singer has officially said goodbye to her longtime Upper East Side home. Singer, a star on the Real Housewives of New York series, sold her apartment at the Richmond Condominium at 201 East 80th Street for a little over $4 million, or $1,630 per square foot. This according to property records. Singer and her husband Mario had bought the 2,400 square foot Four-bedroom home over two decades ago, the couple's daughter has grown up and she was looking to downsize. Singer did not immediately respond to a request for comment. The 21,000-square-foot mansion at 9E71st Street is the longtime home of financier Jerry Epstein, who has emerged at the center of what prosecutors from the Southern District of New York say is a vast network of abuse perpetrated against young women, many under the age of 18, by the billionaire asset manager. Epstein has been charged with sex trafficking by the SDNY and he has pleaded not guilty. The East 71st Street property, however, is known as the Herbert N. Strauss Mansion and was built in 1933 and has been previously named uh, as one of the city's most valuable mansions. It was designed by uh, society architect Horace Trumbauer for Herbert Strauss, one of the heirs to the Macy's department store fortune, who died before it was completed. Leslie Wexner, the founding chairman of the Limited Inc. Company bought it in 1989 for $13.2 million. He hired architect Tyree Despont and designer John. Uh, Stephanitis to help gut the 40-room home. In 1995, Wexner transferred the home to Epstein. There is no record of a sale that exists in any of the property records, so we just gave it to him, uh, who was his protege and financial advisor. Epstein carried out his own renovation and has held onto the home to this day. According to the New York Times, the property has been valued at approximately $56 million by the city's Department of Finance, Although prosecutors stated it was valued at $77 million, the property taxes alone are more than $347,000. Stay tuned for any future sale and, of course, selling price. After less than a year on the market, J-Lo and A-Rod have found a buyer for their pad at 432 Park Avenue. Their sky-high midtown apartment is in the tallest building in the Western Hemisphere and listed it for $17.5 million in January. It is still unclear who bought the three-bedroom apartment and how much they paid. The couple decided to sell the apartment less than a year after owning it in order to search for something larger they say they love the building, but when their children are all together, it's just a little too small. That according to the New York Post. Last spring, the newly engaged couple bought the four thousand square foot unit in roughly four, roughly fifteen point three million dollars. No word yet on a new purchase in New York City. Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis's 340 acre Martha's Vineyard compound is now on the market for sale for $65 million. Onassis's daughter Caroline Kennedy told the journal that her three children are now adults so they ne- they therefore don't need to be spending a lot of time at the compound the estate which was refurbished by Kennedy and her husband comes with a main house of 6500 square feet five bedrooms and a guest house with more than four bedrooms most of the rooms have ocean views the compound also comes with a tennis court pool freshwater pond and much more uh, I'm sorry and more than a mile of private beach but for Onassis, Martha's Vineyard felt more private than her years on the Cape at the Kennedy compound. The former first lady bought her property dubbed Redgate Farm in the 1970s for $1 million. And today marks 20 years since a small plane piloted by John Kennedy Jr. went down <coughs> off the coast of Martha's Vineyard. He was a man about New York City and would be seen everywhere. As his uncle Ted said at his eulogy, he had everything in the world but length of years, gone way too soon. And I, I remember John Kennedy, years. I mean, I used to literally see him everywhere. I mean, not that we were friends, because we clearly weren't, but I mean, he was just all over the place, in Central Park, Oliver in the gym, all he was Oliver on 72nd <laughs>
1: Street and rollerblading.
0: Absolutely, when he lived, yeah. Shirtless.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can't remember her, her name, the blonde, no. Hannah. Hannah. Uh, Hannah. Uh, do you know that my my husband, younger years, looked so much like John Kennedy. Yes, he did. So, I remember when you waltzed him anyway. into the
0: office. <laughs> well done,
1: weez. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well look at her. I mean, I know, right? On. All right, as I said, we have a special guest here today, Andreas Escobar, with an impressive career spanning over twenty years. He has become one of the interior design's most admired and public talent. A partner and design principal, he is responsible for the strategic growth and positioning of the firm as well as closely liaison liaising with partners and clients On every project, regularly working with top investors and developers, Andreas has always made a point of nurturing long-term clients' relationships and evaluating the vision of every project. Having led hundreds of design projects in New York City, Andreas is uniquely attuned to the city's architectural design vernacular. He has a keen understanding of and sensitivity to the specific needs of each site, approaching design at the neighborhood and often down to the block level, I want to talk a lot about that because that's interesting. His distinctive eclectic designs speak the language of the project's brand and surroundings and amplify them to the delight of LeMay and uh, Escobar's clients and end users. Good morning, and thank you for being here with us. morning, Vince. All right, so, you know, you are a prolific uh, uh, architect in this town, and we all know we run around this town, and, and, and part of what everybody likes, whether you live in New York City or you don't, is the variety of architectural styles that we see we go from pre-war we go to you know what i say the 50s and 60s post-war buildings we go to now these new condo developments there's a lot of difference And difference and uniqueness is what sells sometimes. And we say this all the time about real estate. If it's not unique, if it's not compelling, it isn't gonna sell, especially in marketplaces like we are today. So you were born and raised in Columbia. You moved to Montreal to pursue a career in engineering. However, you found that your passion lay in the beauty of aesthetics and interior design and you quickly changed your major. You graduated with honors from Dawson College, you began your career working with some of Montreal's top design firms. So Tell our audience here, which, by the way, is a global audience, so people around the world are listening, including Montreal, <laughs> uh, what inspired you to uh, about the aesthetics and interior design, uh, and that enough that it took you away from your original plan to become an engineer?
2: Well, originally, being born in Colombia, you were kind of um, expected to go into classical careers. My father was an engineer, my mom was a nurse, my uncles, doctors, and... Um, so you're kind of conditioned to be that way. However, I was always very creative since I was a young child. We I used to do acrylic paintings. I used to do uh, models of uh, uh, of the buildings that my father used to talk. My dad went to Sorbonne University, so actually he used to talk about Paris, the the arc of Triomphe, La Tour Eiffel, and I used to kind of like take scrap papers and I used to build these models to try to impress my dad. Uh, <laughs> although, you know, I, I, I kind of continue the path of my father, and once I realized that this wasn't really what I wanted to do, and I was actually a very good sketcher, and I used to paint and so on and so forth, I moved into the design realm, and I found it very exhilarating, it, it really appealed to me, and I made it my, my career. Uh, So that is, uh, in a nutshell, what how I'm I'm, I'm where I'm at. So all these years later, obviously you have no
0: regrets, correct? Absolutely not. You've done done really well. And I've always said, you know, it takes a special person to be able to be creative, but not only to be creative, because I think a lot of people are creative, but to be able to get it out there to others, who can appreciate it as well and expand upon it potentially. Um, so you decided to um, you decided to capitalize on your experience and talents and start your own venture. So not only do you go from engineering to design and aesthetic and, and creative, whatever, you then decided to kind of create your own firm, which, by the way, is not easy in any business that we're in because you know, it takes a lot of wherewithal. You uh, founded what's now the famous Andreas Escobar and Associates in 1989, which has quickly become one of the city's most recognized design firms after achieving media coverage and rare reviews for your work in Montreal as well as New York. But then you sold your company or merged your company with May. So give us a little bit of backstory as to, A, how you you, you decided to come about building your own company and then after a while selling it to either grow bigger or, or expand
2: larger, et cetera? Well, the idea of having my own firm stems from the fact that I didn't quite understood the way other people run their own business. And I didn't like their approach or their management skills or how they did their business. So I figure what better way to do it than open up my own firm. And it was actually quite interesting because the day that I opened up my firm, a week later, my first child, our first child was born. Good so born. my wife Bella was actually expecting. So I had nothing really to lose, but a lot to lose. So I went into it and a lot I had of pressure, anything correct. else, right? Yes. And at the time I was actually doing a lot of work in Montreal and in Europe, uh, luckily because we live in Montreal and we would speak several languages. So for me to go to France or Belgium or Switzerland, it was not a difficult thing. So we actually used to do most of the work in French. And in, uh, sort of like in the year 99, 2000, the Gretsch building came about and it was kind of a project that we competed and we were lucky enough to win it and it got built and it was quite a success. So it's on on Broadway uh, in Williamsburg and it became sort of like the path to move forward into the New York market. Later on, after several years of having done a lot of work in New York, although I thought it was going to be just like a one-hit wonder, you just do the Gretsch and then you just go back to Montreal, it became kind of like a lot of projects in Dumbo, Vinegar Hill, Long Island City, uh, Greenpoint, so on and so forth. Then it became very evident that the New York Manhattan market Wanted something from me that it was actually a New York-based project. So you were doing you were doing
0: projects out in Brooklyn in in, in locations that really weren't you know so popular yeah. then Vinegar Hill, Dumbo, uh, back and I would assume the early to mid '90s,
2: correct? Early 2000s. Early yeah. 2000s. okay. Yes. Yeah. The Grudge came about around 2001, 2002. Mm-hmm. Got it. It's
3: such a great building. In, that was yeah. your first. Sure. 1999. That's amazing. Right. Congratulations. Thank yeah, you. I love that building.
0: Yeah. So then you moved more into uh, Manhattan or,
2: or, you know, New York City. Well, kind of like said. the market forced me into it because some of the developers would say, Andres, what have you done in New York? I said, Well, I did this project in Broadway and Williamsburg. I says, No, Manhattan. I said, Oh my God, so we got a project downtown, and uh, that became sort of like the 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 the, the beginning of my career in Manhattan. So, from the project in um, William uh, Street, to projects in the Flatiron District, to projects in Soho, projects in Tribeca, projects in in Midtown, Chelsea, uh, Upper East, Upper West, and slowly, I cannot manage to understand the entire the entire city, so one of the things that I used to do is leaving the specific area so that I understand the neighborhood better because every neighborhood in New York is completely different and, and different uh, and what, personalities for uh, sure and at the other side of the break we're going to talk a little bit
0: about how you break that down because not only are the borough's different but the um But the,
3: um, everyone's calling in this morning, morning.
0: (laughs) but but each, each neighborhood is different. So that's where we go with that. Anyway, we've got to take a break. You're live. We are live from smash studios here in Hudson Yards. This is good morning, New York. We will be back on the other side of the break. So don't go away.
4: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
5: At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We are all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders so you can move to what moves you.
6: I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman, I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life,
0: Okay, and we are back. So we're here with Andreas Escobar. Um, funny situation in the studio today, but we'll talk about that another time. So let's let's actually talk about how you know you, I guess, in your mind, break down uh... the neighborhoods within the boroughs that you work in brooklyn very different from manhattan very different from queens long island city has is kind of risen from the ashes you know the, o- almost overnight it's always been there but in the last five six seven years it's become something that even i don't recognize anymore uh... the last several times i've been out there i just think i'm somewhere else because it doesn't even look close to the same so when you embark upon a project in either of these neighborhoods or, or borough uh, situations what is the first thing that you think about? Like, how do I? Do you need to understand the roadmap of the the culture of the people there, or do you just kind of look at the lay of the land and say, I think this would
2: work here? No, I think you need to have a clear understanding of the area. Uh, to give you an example, when I came to New York, I spent I, I would say five years living in Soho and understanding what makes people tick, what kind of people live there, what are the what is it that makes people wanting to move to this neighborhood? What is it different? What is it different than Chelsea? What is it different than the Upper East? And at the very beginning, it's hard to understand it. But once you start moving throughout the city, I mean, after five years, I was kind of tired of being there. Then I went up to, to more like Chelsea. Then I went to the Upper. I, I actually was at the Essex House for about six years, and then uh, so I understand the Upper East, the Upper West, and all the, the restaurants. House, no, no surprise. <laughs> but understanding understanding who the market is, what what they like to eat, the, the, the difference between the restaurants, who comes to the restaurants, who goes shopping.
1: Maria's.
2: Mm-hmm. Maria is ah, amazing. I love it. Uh,
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so uh, basically, you have to understand the end user. And New York had a stereotypical approach to projects in Tribeca, Soho, Chelsea, Upper East, Upper West. And over, for the past 20 years, it has changed. It kind of yes. morphed into something else. Right. Now, people are starting to say, we want to have the Upper East feeling with. A little bit of an injection downtown of, of edge. downtown edge. So everything is important. And now everybody wants a little bit of some sort of a differentiator. That's what makes us different in every project that we take.
0: Well, that's what I was going to say. So, you know, you're always challenging the status quo pretty much. And, and, and your, your experts apply a deep understanding of each client, neighborhood, and demographic. So, but how do you keep it unique Though Andreas, because I mean it is very it is very different out there, and a lot of people say to me, "You live in this glass jungle." It reminds me of Dallas, Texas lately, because all you see are these tall glass. Oh, structures. you cannot compare New <laughs> York City to Dallas. No, 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 no. I'm just. I'm just <laughs> ma- <trying laughs> Let me tell to, it
3: to you in Spanish. No. <coughs>
0: yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> no, in any language, no. But I'm just saying. But but this is the, the impression. Like, oh, I remember old New York didn't look like this. Now, anywhere you look, anywhere you turn around, it's all glass towers. But yet, it's not true because there is a, a certain unique there's still about a lot of each, old New York, too. Of course. No, but I'm saying about these buildings, there's still a, a, a certain uniqueness about it. And what I'm trying to get at is how do you make them, you know, your own and how do you make them unique? You, you get an understanding of the lay of the land. You get an understanding of the culture of the people. Neighborhoods want to change. I mean, for heaven's sakes, I never thought the Upper West Side would ever change to anything other than what it used to be, which was very old, pre-war. Now, you know, you've got lots of new development going on up there and it's it's, wonderful but
1: it's really exciting i think that's also the transformation of development where we get to experience how the boundaries have evaporated so much to having the ability to be complemented by somebody's creativity where you can capture a moment in time that's fresh and different
2: Yeah, and one of the most important things is given the fact of globalization and how we are exposed Mm -hmm. to everything, I think the buyers and residents are very sophisticated. They travel, they see what's happening all over the world, and when you start understanding that everybody wants a little bit of, Europe, a little bit of all New York, yeah. a little bit of what's hip. I think that we have gone through all kinds of stages where minimalism became like important. Nobody wants to live in a fridge. Everybody wants to live in a place that is a little bit more social and a little <laughs> bit warmer. Uh, I think that, the, the, you know. I, I, I agree. Uh, yeah. And, and, and now, for instance, if the city keeps on expanding. We're working on a project in the Bronx. What is the Bronx? How do you come up with a project that is going yeah. to be different?
1: Mm. But that has, a, that has been a market that's been pumping to, with the revitalization of the concourse, the Grand Concourse, so I think it's really an exciting time for the Bronx.
0: But I I agree with that. But I but I think it's probably challenging to figure out how do you make you know how do you make this neighborhood unique because it's it's so defined as it has been all of its existence and without you,
1: disrespecting the history. Correct. It's, it's a it is a correct. delicate balance.
2: Correct. It's a very delicate balance. I agree. But, but you know this this city like i said is, it adapts itself it reinvents itself is 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 open to all kinds of aesthetics is is really uh probably the the the, the only city that i'm aware, that i that i that i know that is able to sort of support this sort of mm-hmm, change i mm-hmm. uh, i've i've been fortunate to have travel all over the world and i and i do i'm doing projects in dubai i'm doing projects in europe and they are actually now looking back they always look back at new york and how do you do it how do you yeah. incentivize how do you Create, uh, you know, this vibe in the projects. They are re- copying kind of like what we're doing. So when you said how do you, you reinvent ourselves, I think that we we are trendsetters as opposed to followers.
1: I, I would agree with yeah. that, and I think yeah. that we lead the nation in real estate mm-hmm. and. And some people would say globally because of the origination of the mixing pot that we are, the diversity that, that really came about us.
2: A hundred percent. In the in the past couple of months, I've been sort of like approached by developers from all over the country, from Phoenix to Houston to Florida to the West Coast, because they look at New York as sort of like the mecca of residential hospitality uh, development. How do you amenitize? For instance, I, I, I just wrote something in a document that talks about rental buildings, how mm. the rental buildings in the mm. two thousand early 2000s are, and how are they today. Incredibly I mean, different. Incredibly different. So now a condo and a rental don't have much differentiator. In fact, some rentals have better amenities than condominium. I, and that's because some, of them, have a lot better, some yeah. of
3: them are built with the view that maybe one day they'll convert to condos. I think developers are thinking about that more, too. They're getting the cash out of the more. rentals now, but...
2: Yeah. not anymore down, we down just recently okay. finished a project on 44th street 222 East 44th I, it's called the summit I, I think that I will invite you to just visit it mm-hmm. it's unbelievable and it's in, in Turtles Bay is an area that is not necessarily uh, well yep. n- hip yeah. But <laughs> we made this I, I made a it very hit
0: 20 something years ago when it was kind of dull and boring but I can see that it's really sort of turning around. But you know the, the difference between I think the, the the luxurious rental buildings with all these amenities versus condos is you have a different type of people who are moving into the rental buildings and the, into the condo buildings for the most part. And you know the the rental people may be transfers in, they may be here for a year or two. They're concentrating on work, they want to pay attention to all of their stuff in the building versus, you know, diversify around the city. I mean, that's just what I've seen happen, not, not you know, uh, for everybody. But let me ask you this. So, tell us a little bit about your design strategies. Moving from residential to, to hotels now, which do you like better, residential towers or hotels? I mean, what, what floats your boat more on a daily or weekly basis than, than
2: well, not? Well, hospitality is always more interesting because you actually deal with public areas, f b so there's restaurants, there's activities, there's amenities. But what's happening is a lot of the developers, when they reach out to us, is because of that fact. It's because we are able to cross borders. Like right now, we're oh, yeah. doing a project in Brooklyn Heights, which is actually a senior community. And the reason why we were selected was because we have this hospitality intel, if you want to call it. So what we're doing is we're creating this urban resort that will feel like a resort it will not feel like a senior community it will have all the amenities that you have in a well appointed hotel now who's moving there baby boomers what do they like what do they take is it modern is it classical so you, are, you should be you have to be able to cross all these boundaries you, you have to understand that what's modern classic what's classical uh, edgy there's many ways of doing it and also the eclecticism of the city allows us to cross all these boundaries which is very unique in other places is specifically it's got to be this way so when you talk about Upper West Side in the early 2000s it had to be pre-war it had to be you know herringbone it's got to be you know subway tiles now 15 CPW it could be just whatever exactly 100% so now what's happening is you could really really make a differentiator a lot of the, the, the residents from the Upper East Side, they don't necessarily want to live in that type of environment anymore. Yeah, exactly. That 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 that, exactly. that demographic has, has grown. Now they're looking Absolutely. for something a little hipper. Maybe they don't want to come downtown, but maybe they want to be closer to their roots, but they want to live in an environment that is a lot more today. And And that's exactly correct. And it's obviously
0: a lot less expensive if you're staying uptown versus coming all the way downtown. So you can have a like product and not pay as much money. What are some of your early design memories? I mean, what, what what was like the first thing you designed that really said to yourself, you said to yourself, you know, this is, re- I really have it. This is really what I like to do and I'm gonna continue and build a career on this. What, what are some of the, the fun, more fun first projects that you worked on that you really,
2: really loved? My favorite project was really The really Gretsch. Really? Because it was a conversion of an old guitar uh, factory. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of like a, an area of Williamshire that didn't really have a signature or a, or, or a specific static. Wow. And what we did is we borrowed from the history of the building that it was kind of like real factory. We wanted to create a loft environment. We wanted to make it minimalistic, yet fairly contemporary. And it resonated with the market. The market, it was one of the first... I would say, successful projects in that area of the city, which was predominantly an enclave of Hasidic uh, of the Hasidic community. Uh, and it became a very popular destination. Now, a lot of developments had happened. We actually did a project on uh, Kent Avenue, 80 uh, Metropolitan, which was, again, a modern building that we kind of like created. Like, it's a, like a modern take on loft living. Um, so we had had a lot of experience on that part of the world. And then Dumbo was also an area that, that was, was very, very interesting because it was more daring. It was kind of like the Tribeca of that side of, of Brooklyn as opposed to being just very, like when you look in Bora Park, which is a little bit more classical. So understanding all these various areas of the city is very important because then you could actually Give part of what they're expecting and hedge it to a different direction.
0: In, it, back then, you're did you did you visualize uh, Dumbo becoming what it actually did become? Because I didn't. like when I first heard about development out there, I thought, are they out of their minds? Under the bridge? Are you uh,
2: kidding me? I think it's a fantastic location. You it's have the best view of uh, downtown Manhattan. It's amazing. Uh, not but unlike. Did you, but it, did you think absolutely. so back yeah. then, though? Uh, Well, it's it's an incredible neighborhood, and even Brooklyn Heights, unbelievable. Oh, I love (laughs) the project that we're working in the senior community has the most beautiful view. It's Twenty One Clark. Yeah, is the old, uh, you know, hotel gorgeous, and the views are sublime. They're unbelievable. There's the best. That that, that region is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So. Uh, you
3: do have to go to Brooklyn to get the best views of Manhattan. That's 100%. true.
0: <laughs> you get stunning views of Manhattan. All right. So, you, you, what what would be what would you consider your most challenging project through all of these neighborhoods, through all mm. of these building types? What what was the most challenge to you?
2: I would think um, mm, hard to tell. Uh, a project <laughs> that we did actually on the, on, the, on on Columbus Square. Perhaps that was a very challenging project. It was done uh, 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 when the market kind of like started to slow down in the in the in the 2007 2008, and there was, uh, you know, um, we were wondering whether or not this project was going to continue or stop. And it was actually a fairly large uh, project, so it was not necessarily difficult in terms of the development, but more worrying about what what's going to happen to the market. Uh, so I think that that was the only challenge that I really faced. In terms of projects, not really. Our approach is actually fairly pragmatic and very visual and we become sort of like part of the development team. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they partake in the, in, the, in the whole uh, process of the design is not like I take it or leave it type of approach. It's more about let's sit around the table, let's meet the marketing teams, let's uh, meet ownership, let's understand what we're trying to achieve, what's the goal of the project, and then we will deliver a project that would be, you know, successful for everyone involved. It's not only about my personal uh, preference or my personal static. It's more about is this the right product for the right market. So it's kind of like I don't really. Think think that I had a, a really challenging project. I think I had challenging moments in the history of mm-hmm. the of, of the financial upheavals mm-hmm. of, of what mm-hmm. we all experience. As we yes. say all the time here in New York City, every day is a challenge,
0: regardless of what you are involved in. And if you can do it in New York City and make it in New York City, you can make it you know, pretty much anywhere.
7: Um, go ahead. Andres, I have a question for you. Uh, <clears throat> the Gretsch is also one of my favorite buildings in the city. Thanks. Uh, I want to ask you a question. Knowing what you know now about Williamsburg and you had to redo the project, what might you do differently with the building? Or would you change anything at all?
2: I think that most of the work that was done in the interiors was actually very interesting. If if there was anything to change, it would have been to pay a little bit more attention to the facade of the building. Uh, But other than that, I think that it was a very unique product at the time. And I would even suggest that even today is still very relevant to the market.
7: A lot of those almost, i said say the vast majority of those units are still the exact same way. People do not change them, and even buyers don't even look to change them. So I think that says a lot.
2: Well, the idea was actually to, to bring sort of like what I said before, that Europe, European touch to it, Italian kitchens, you know, showers with infinity glass to make it look more grandiose, the open, the corridors with exposed columns, loft meets it's It's fun. Grunge. Exactly.
7: It's fun. It's fun. It's bright. It's it's happy. I think people really get
0: that. All right. So um, is there an architect or a designer that you most admire? Yeah. Uh, Everybody you deal with on a day-to-day basis.
2: Well my favorite architect is it has and it will always be Frank Lloyd right. I, yeah. yeah. um, sure. in I think that this uh, is incredible a genius in architecture. I think that it stood the, the you know the length of time I mean I think that today there's a lot of architects today that 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 go and, and disappear f- fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. I think that there was a certain vocabulary there that that's that stood. I mean, I, and everywhere I go, I try to stay in, 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 in buildings that were designed by him, I just came back from Phoenix and I stayed in one of the hotels that actually he originally designed. Oh, that's so cool. Um, so, um, in terms of designers, um, um, I wouldn't say I have a Preference. I think that uh, I, I like. I, I. For me, design is not just brick and mortar. For me, I admire the fashion designers. I am. I admire mm-hmm. the people who design cars. I admire the people who design. You know, perfume bottles. I think that that is an amazing uh, art. Mm-hmm. And art is art. Design is design. Uh, uh, you look at even even some of the. Uh, you know the 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 alcohol bottles. I mean, they're beautiful. Some of the XOs, I mean, they're like precious Uh, it's all a
0: collaborative effort and and, mm -hmm. you know whether you're designing interiors exteriors buildings itself whatever it's it's all um collaborative one last question andreas so if you weren't a designer if you didn't get into this business and i love your answer i think i know your answer in the research i did if you didn't do this as a career what would you have chosen uh instead i will be a chef do you see? Yeah. And I would agree, and I would say the same thing if people ask me that question. So I said, I have to ask them that because in reading that, I knew exactly what your answer was going to be. A uh, Chef, any particular
2: cuisine? No, I like to invent. I like to, uh, you know, uh, when I eat something in a restaurant, I like to try to reinvent, reinvent it. Reinvent it. Absolutely. Make it my own. I, I do the same thing. I never follow a recipe. I don't think I've ever followed a
0: recipe. I create everything. It's more of a refrigerator dump in my in my in my case. Whatever works, works. All right. Andres is gonna stay with us. Panel is up next. We are live from Smash Studios here in Hudson Yards. This is Good Morning New York. Don't go away.
4: our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
5: At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We are all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders so you can move to what moves you.
6: I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life.
0: We are here with Sean McPeak from Halstead, Tracy Hammersley from Douglas Elliman, Jordan Shea from Douglas Elliman, and Louise Phillips-Forbes making her triumphant return. (laughs) She's also from Halstead. We missed you, Weezy.
1: Missed you guys. My God. Love your new digs. She's been on
0: a long sabbatical. Yes, thank you. Aren't they beautiful? All right. So anyway, you know, there's a lot of buzz in the marketplace this week uh, and reading a couple of stories, and I actually... Read the story from a national perspective. It's a national story. It says the tide is turning in favor of U.S. home sellers who are set to benefit from a slowing uh, market where fewer listings are coming to market, and probably strategically. Uh, last month, U.S. sellers added 40,000 new listings to the market, an increase of only 2.8% year over year, and this according to Mansion Global. While it brings an end to the oversupply of housing stock that came online, Um, in 2018 and the first half of 2019. The slowdown in listings provides sellers potentially with an advantage with less options for home buyers. The shift can be attributed to a a strong economy and lower mortgage rates. So, you know, my question is, after reading this, and as we all know, everybody out there, the consumer, the buyer, the seller, the renter, they all read the, the industry rag stuff. Do you see this potential Situation happening here in the New York City market. In other words, sellers say, I'm not going to list right now. The market is too funky. I'm going to wait a little bit and maybe, you know, we'll see what happens. As a result, the inventory starts depleting, as I think we all would like to see it. And then potentially, a few months down the road, sellers come back to marketplace and all of a sudden, maybe... The tide shifts from the buyers to the sellers because the demand gets a little more pent up and and maybe that that is the impetus to kind of shift the marketplace. What are your thoughts on that?
3: Say it out loud and make it true, Vince. I would love Uh, that. Well I was thinking about walking around with a billboard
0: after (laughs) I mean I was very encouraged when I read that story the other day because I said, you know what, if we think this and if we say this and if maybe we encourage our, our sellers to hold off a bit, but yet business is business. No, I don't know. I'm over here just
1: biting my tongue. I mean, listen, I think the, you know, <laughs> the Mansion Global has to sell new pa- newspapers uh, and 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 <laughs> I, I respectfully <laughs> agree to disagree. I, I, and I'm just throwing it out there. And I feel that you know, the, the double messaging that's going on in our media they're like 13 to 15 months behind the times Ugh. and New York itself is two and a half years in front of the rest of the nation <laughs> where we are in our real estate experiences and if we are a leader are. in the in 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 what is come to come for the rest of the nation you know you got you can't really compare what's happening in New York C- city. To a median price of three hundred and five thousand dollars, respectfully. So, urban environments are definitely not going to be on the same rhythm. Cities like New York, like Nashville, Tennessee, that grew twelve and a half percent last year. I'm from Nashville. That is not a sustainable growth. However, the diversity that has happened with the economy <coughs> in Nashville, specifically, not just being healthcare. And music. They now have three different professional sports. They have the movies are being shot there. They have a lot of diversity that is going to help support that. You've got Bernstein moving a thousand jobs there. I just think that I don't like these cross-the-board generalistic conversations that the media wants to sell papers around.
3: Although this brings up a really interesting point because usually, and I have a lot of clients that are in the media, um, so it hurts me to say this, but I think sorry, that the, no, 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 the the media has been more foe than friend to the real estate market, to the tourism industry in Miami. Certainly, you all know that that is near and dear to my heart. So to actually have a positive outlook from the media, I think that's shocking because I think usually their their kind of go to line I is was, something uh, negative, gloom uh, and doom, because that's what sells. That's I, more salacious. The bubble, the recession, etc.
7: I felt the same way when I read that article last week, and uh, I think. Positive
3: from the media? What? Uh, no,
7: and it was and it kind of originated from a chief economist at realtor.com, So I was kind of shocked, too. I was like, wow, I'm, I'm just used to just reading like my eulogy, usually. Exactly.
3: Yeah. That I don't agree <laughs> with well, either. I, but so I think it's positive and refreshing to hear something that I can get behind well, being very bullish is, by makes, nature. It
7: does make sense, too, because I, th- I think we can apply this to New York if you're looking at building permits and how they've come down a lot in the last couple of years. So We've we been could be heading well, to a supply shortage, but there's pockets of the market that are being extraordinarily overbuilt right now still.
0: Yeah, but 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 you know, I think the media has always been faux yes. versus friendly yes. to to the real estate industry. I mean I can go way back to two thousand and four and five or three and four, I can't remember the exact mm-hmm. years, where I would read at the time before our t- before our tablets and and, and uh, devices and look at the newspaper and it was like one negative story after the next, after the like next. Like the, the New said, York you Times a Magazine I mean.
1: with the balloon and total, the pen. Totally, yes. <laughs> right, exactly. Total, the bubble. The bubble's right?
0: gonna burst. But you know. That didn't come
1: for years after they
3: were talking about it. But so. the
0: point is, you know, I read this story and I really thought that there may be something to it in that. Sellers today aren't necessarily, and again, it's it, it pockets of different size apartments, price points, you know, locations, whatever. But in general, what I'm seeing is sellers aren't really listening to what your pricing strategy is or should be. They still want to price <laughs> way too high. Yeah. So most th- of them, yeah, you yeah. know, and either you're not going to get the listing, they're going to give it to somebody else. You may be the second or third broker. And I'm thinking, so maybe there is something to this story or something to this argument where sellers are going to finally say you know what I don't know that I can get the price I want right now so therefore I'm going to hold off <laughs> certainly if you don't need to sell i mean i i i didn't get 3 maybe 4 listings in the last 3 or 4 months because sellers and and believe me you know i'm not happy about that and they're very nice sized listings but at the end of the day they're all out on the market. They're all with other agents. They're all very high priced. And now I'm watching as they reduce, they reduce, they reduce, they reduce. And I don't hopefully know they'll where come back to end. you, Vince. I don't know where it's going to end. But, let, but you mm-hmm. know, at the end of the day, you've got to be cognizant of what the current marketplace is that we're playing in. And,
1: and I, I also think that, you know, history – has always repeated itself when, oh, wait, it, re- when it deals with new, with real estate, particularly in New York. And the, there is a factor of a globalization that we've really, truly arrived to, which mm-hmm. we did not have a mm-hmm. decade ago, and we did not have two decades ago. Right. And so I I think that human nature also, it's always going to be, I'm very bullish on New York City to buy and hold. However, yes. it is, depending on what your needs are, not the same result and answer for every individual but i don't believe absolutely i don't believe that if somebody wants to rent one of their assets for a year the market's going to be better right
8: well i like what you said there which was buy and hold like spec work has always been risky flipping has always been risky and new york is built on discontentment a lot Mm -hmm. but the buy hold has always been proven it's over It's always time. weathered the storm. It's always weathered the storm. If you have a long view, it's and by buy and hold, I don't mean five years. I don't mean 10. I mean, look at like, what's your 15-year outlook? I mean, really be smart about these investments and look at it like,
7: I don't know, two arms worth. Yeah. The people. The people who make the most money in real estate are the ones who don't sell. Oh. Which isn't good for our business, <laughs> but it's well,
0: but true. that, but that's historic. I mean, you know, people bought you know a hundred thousand dollars for an apartment, you know, twenty five years ago, and they're, they're selling them for four million dollars. I mean, that that that's that's true, very true. I
7: always tell my buyers, you'll every ten years you'll regret not buying. So <laughs> if you wait ten years and you walk by the oh. same building ten years later, you're gonna be like, damn it, I should have gotten that. You know Depending on what it is Of course There's some dogs out there Alright on the flip
0: side Of sales Moving along Landlords can't now demand Last month's rent Any longer Plus a security deposit And we beat up This new new rental uh, oh. law now For the past couple of weeks also, there is a new 14-day deadline for security deposit return. Landlords have to get your deposit back within 14 days. So no longer can they it ask used to be 60 days. months. It used yeah. to be 60 mm-hmm. days. Now they can't ask for anything more than you know one month. Landlords are alarmed, to put it mildly, about what this will do to their uh, ability to maintain buildings. Louise, I want to ask you because you weren't here <laughs> on the last episode where we talked in great detail about
3: Fresh points, the, the <laughs> rental market.
0: What are you? What are because you, you deal with a lot of you know conversion and a lot of rental um, landlords and stuff. what 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 are your thoughts?
1: Well, I mean, listen, i I personally, I mean, I am all for affordable housing. I'm all for sure. um for supporting people that are not in the same position as all. However, I personally believe that these laws, are unconstitutional that they're implementing. They are, and I believe we are going to have a major class action against the far left side where you've literally setting up landlords to, you, you to devastated right. an industry yeah. that has fueled our economy exactly. nationally. And that is if we look at history in, the, in September 11th came, they lowered the interest rates 11 times in exactly. order to fuel and kickstart our economy. So I am going to be doing the last conversion because it was 12 minutes before the deadline when my red herring got submitted oh, wow. on, in, in the West 70s. And, you know, it is, I, I, I just think it's incredible. Um, and I find it interesting from what I hear that Cuomo elected to not be at any of those meetings and just was going to sign what was agreed to. So it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. How do I feel about it? Do Y'all want to talk uh, about that? Well, yeah, right. Well, no, yeah. I mean
3: they clearly did not consult with any real estate professional when they did this. It is it, it is doing the opposite of its
1: intended effect. It was in inside most cases. the box
0: decision making. Didn't go outside of it. Didn't really want to get involved, as as Louise just said. Yeah. You know, I from have the governor.
1: A, I have a client who who owns eight thousand apartments. I have a client who also had a building appraised in October of 2018 for $186 million. Mm -hmm. Today, it is worth about 36 million. Oh Oh my goodness, that's huge. for all the people that have acquired and bought buildings with the intent to convert, they have completely strangled them. So we're gonna have a whole domino effect that we won't see for 36 months.
7: Mm. And I think they're creating slums. I I, I honestly think it's almost intentional. Um, You see what's going on in the streets of the city. Um, it's really inhumane what's happening, and I just I think you're really taking all the incentive um, out of pe- from people to improve. Absolutely. Right. If
1: you look, just one more thing I'm going to say is that if you go back and you Google 1974 on the cover of the magazine where Uncle Sam is holding. Mm -hmm. Their handout Mm -hmm. to I remember to save New York City. Correct. And this is what we're 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 promoting. We're promoting that lack of investment in your spaces.
0: All right. On that note, a word from our sponsors. We will be right back.
4: become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america
5: at halstead we know that what moves you is important we are all about the power of transformation we're revolutionizing the way people live and work we are agents of change we are the deal makers we are the fearless negotiators we are the future builders so you can move to what moves you.
6: I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life.
0: Okay, we are back. I know, the
4: the behind-the-scenes
0: episode. We're going to do a behind-the-scenes video episode one of these days. All right, we're back for segment four, everybody. Uh, So many millennials and seniors tout New York City as an invigorating place to live, but it's not everyone's cup of tea. Well, too bad for that. And neither is the state... Uh, As a whole. And one new study says that New York is actually the second worst state to retire in Hmm. the top five states to retire are Nebraska, Iowa, Missouri, South Dakota and Florida. The five worst states to retire are Maryland, New York, Alaska, Illinois and Washington. Okay, so I don't even understand this. Wow, this I'm not Period that they there.
3: use, we're, yeah, we're, yeah. And
0: so I like, mean, all right, nothing so nothing wh- about Colorado.
3: So, I mean, so subjective, right? Just, I mean, wh- Denver. Hello? Why?
0: Why is New York so bad? I mean, I you know the cost of living is higher. I get it, but what what gives? But 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 to be in the same category as. Um, I mean, Maryland, Alaska, Illinois, and Washington.
3: <laughs> You're going there, Vince. Elitist, NYC's not. I'm really not. I'm just. I, I, You're I, saying what we're all thinking. It's okay. You know I'm just Alaska. teasing you. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if I wanted to be around Eskimos, I go to Alaska, right? Did now they share then. the
3: criteria that they used were, to come up with these conclusions?
0: They, they didn't, and, I, and, and 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 I mean, I don't even want to research it because I, you know, I don't right, necessarily right. understand then it. Who
3: cares? I mean, Florida actually should be number one for I, the best place to retire to. Well, but, I,
0: but, I, but I guess the cost of living in New York City is high. I mean, we all know that. Sure. So, I mean, we all love it. We live here. We do our thing. But, I mean, the cost of living is high. But, I mean, it's the worst place to live. I,
3: but I think they're incorporating all of New York State, too. So, maybe I mean, that's Albany. T- that's Rochester. That's I mean, maybe, maybe full time. <laughs>
7: <laughs> I, I get a lot of empty nesters that are like, oh, I mean, even my dad's been talking to me about it recently. He's like, I kind of just want to get, like, an apartment in the city for a year or just something and just, like, really feel what it's all about. And like, kind of just go to Central Park and walk the dog. Like, I I get that a lot. So, (laughs) it's
3: super convenient. You can be so much more mobile, and you can get a a taxi or a Lyft or an Uber, you know, to be older and have, you know, your doorman looking after your super. I think it's a very comfortable place to, Uh, yeah. I
7: think think it's good part. I think it would be a good place part time to retire. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say spend 12 months a year in New York when you're retired.
0: I don't think anybody wants to, and that's why I kind of took issue with this article, because I don't think anybody wants to spend 12, 12 months a year in New York City when they retire. Hopefully they can travel, they put some money away where they can do a lot of things, maybe they have a second home, whatever. But to declare New York the second worst place uh, in the in the union to live, I mean, you know, listen, I'm a New Yorker, and I kind of take offense to that. The prices so say offended. otherwise. I'm offended. I, I was like, "What?" And I had I would have normally ignored the story, but I needed to get my two cents out there. It's like, "Come on now." I mean, you know. Listen, I like all over the place. I love uh, different uh, Hold on. neighborhoods, but New Colorado, York I would have said Colorado's South one of best? Dakota. Yeah, there you okay. have
3: it. <laughs> you can see how similar they are.
0: <laughs> Not meant to offend anybody out there who lives in any other place but New York. Because Sorry, I love <laughs> No, 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 no. I mean, I love every place that there is out there. Listen, the United States of America. This is why we're all here. This is our our free land, and we have plenty of nice places to go whenever we want to go. But, you know, I just don't like when somebody says New York is the second worst in the Union. I mean, come on now. We're how with you. How dare they? How dare they?
3: <laughs> I think it's time for a commercial on New York City. Yeah.
0: Especially after what Andreas has done and built right. up all these beautiful exactly. buildings and everything. I mean, come on now. We have perfect. Don't offend
3: Andreas like that. All right. So moving on. What
0: happens when a co-op owner dies? This is very important because people ask this question all the time. What happens when a co-op owner dies and doesn't leave a will or dies with a will, giving it to someone, but that person is not necessarily approvable by the board? Madame co-op... Um, <laughs> Person,
1: I have dealt with this. Um, I, you know, I built a lot of my business in working with women, and um, early on, um, and as I've morphed and aged, thank you very much. I've worked a lot of consulting with women in wills, and and really trying to help advise them on this. So I've dealt with this on a Fifth Avenue um, co-op where they. There was dispute about the ability to give it to their child. Mm -hmm. Um, Not so much about the wife, and and again, those laws until nineteen ninety six or ninety seven. You know, if you didn't have a will, it could have gone. The state would have to determine if the wife would receive it. However, to date, um, it is it is still the right of a of a co op. Yeah. And they what do they can do? Be forced to sell the unit. That's what happened in this case on Fifth Avenue.
0: So let me ask you something, Louise. So you know, you do a lot of sales and co-ops obviously. So they they need to requalify the person who has left the apartment to see if they financially
5: and make it socially
0: make it.
1: It is a hundred percent at the discretion. Of Out the, the board. co-op board. Yeah. And what my experience in this spe- specific uh, circumstance was that this family that had owned for many, many years was well regarded. And they wanted to work with this child. However, they wanted what they wanted, how they wanted, when they wanted it. And it, and it there was inflexibility in the air. And it just, they had to sell.
0: And I just wanted to point out that when you are buying in a co-op, you know, as you well know, most co-op buildings outline in their proprietary leases what should happen in the event of a shareholder's death and, you know, uh, the, the, you know, leave behind rules, the terms of these leases, as well as the shareholders will, if they are left want if they left one, determine how to proceed. So the, they set it up sort of in the proprietary lease as to what they can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I guess it's just a matter of being able to, to qualify uh, qualify for it. So uh, have you seen anybody not be able to stay in their unit after a, a death, in your experience? I you haven't. mean a spouse? A spouse. I or a ha- child. I,
1: I have. I have had that um, when awful. there was – I've had it in two different – Circumstances, um, unfortunately, particularly in uh, prior to gay marriage being approved, I've had that happen multiple times, which is really unfortunate.
0: Wow, very yeah. interesting. Yeah. All right. One last uh, topic for the day. According to Freddie Mac's latest primary mortgage market survey, after declining for most of 2019, U.S. mortgage rates remain mostly unchanged for the first week of July. 30-year fixed rate mortgages averaged 3.7 percent with an average of 0.5 points for the first uh, week ending July 11th. Unchanged from last week. A year ago at this time, the uh, 30-year FRM averaged 4.3 percent. 15-year uh, adjustables averaged three point two two percent, and a year ago at this time, fifteen-year um, adjustables averaged four point zero two. Basically, what they're saying is the rates have been staying flat uh, the last month. Any particular reason for that? What, what 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 is the projection from the 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 bankers that we deal with the Fed that we we are all uh, very well familiar with? What's well, what's happening? Well, if you talk
1: to any of your financial, because I I have been anticipating the Raise of the the rising of interest rates. However, and I personally think that Trump is suppressing those with pressure, mm-hmm. but I, if you talk to any of your finance people, I don't know, Jordan, do you, are you feel, people feel that, that we are in for a long low interest rate. Do you have an opinion? I, I mean, I think uh,
8: by and large <coughs> in the interest rate sector, I think that people are always opportunistic right now mm-hmm. and I'm seeing the creative... Mortgage uh, professionals really be able to do some interesting things. Mm -hmm. I mean, people are switching banks at like rapid fire pace. They're shopping around. They're not loyal to one person. They're getting
7: good deals. They're
8: getting great deals. And I'm seeing, interestingly enough, a collaboration between uh, mortgage professionals at different banks. So I have friends at basically every bank, and they'll say, Well, I can't do this deal but I have a friend at this yep. bank who can do it. Yeah, yeah. And people are are just like how we are we collaborative,
7: they're becoming more and more collaborative. Yeah, the, sig- the signal is long load interest rates. Um, I think the, the, the real message is they're not going to raise them no matter what in the next year or so. Oh,
8: yeah.
7: uh, and <clears throat> when, when some of this news came out right before 4th of July, I had a flurry of activity on like five of my seven listings. Like mm-hmm. we had made, we had, you have two contracts out like we had i was showing up until late afternoon july 3rd which oh. usually is not the case this time usually of year, year. Agreed. so yeah. we were like yeah i'm gonna get stuck in traffic on my way out east <laughs> but this is pretty <laughs> it's great worth it. I, I had six it.
8: appointments on sunday like that's bananas, that is bananas. that's bananas wow good. i know it's well, not open houses
0: no not open houses right no, yep. open houses are wow. not wow. attended yeah
1: Yeah, we had nine.
0: Yeah, it's pretty exceptional. By appointment or by open? uh, Just came. Wow.
1: But to bring it
3: back around, yes, I think in general we're hearing that they are expecting all of the the bankers and loan officers are saying that they're expecting them to stay pretty low and pretty flat for the rest of the year.
0: I think they have been. I think I agree with that. I think they're going to stay there flat or or lower or or kind of back and forth. Uh, But I maintain, you know, like I said at the start of the show, it is a buyer's market. Uh, whether that's to change or not we will see but you know the you know guys this is the time for all of you out there who may be listening this is the time to buy apartments in new york i mean it doesn't get any better than this and the bigger but you can buy the better the longer term and the longer vision you can have and at the end of the day it doesn't matter what you see the price listed at just go and see the apartment if you like the apartment you know you will you'd work it out somehow you know you can buy that apartment but don't just stay away because um of the uh, indecision or whatever else is going on in your mind anyway unfortunately that is it for this morning thank you for joining us you can follow me on twitter on facebook On Instagram, at Vince Rocco. Uh, Earl Nightingale says, all you need is the plan, the roadmap, and the courage to press on to your destination. And Norman Vincent Peale says, of course, shoot for the moon, everyone. I love this one. Even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. Jordan always laughs at that one. Be kind to one another. For all of us at Voice America, all around the world, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody.
1: Oh, my Lord.